Okay, this is new. We need to leave earlier today. Oh, okay, do we? Come on, Dad. Yeah, sure. So what class have you got today? This is Nan's car. Oh, okay. There you go. Hi, Miss Jenkins. Good morning, Natalie. Let me help you with that. Natalie, come on, we oh. don't have time for this. Yes, we do. Thank you. He's a bit of a bossy one, isn't he? Come on, Natty. Only if he's a little late. Oh. Bye. I'm going to put yeah. this next time. Beat yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Look, Dad. Well, what are we waiting for? Get that one over there. Thank you very much. Yes, please. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. That's okay. Thank you so much. Well done. Morning. Yeah, I go like that. Morning. Hi. Hi. Oh, wow. That's for me. Hey, that's really good. Have a lovely day. Thank you. Dear. That was nice of you. Well done. Do you see them now, Dad? Yeah. I see them now. Bye. See ya. And three. Best high five up. Excellent. Thank you. Good morning, Miss Natalie. Good morning. Off you go, there we are. Welcome, great to see you all. Welcome to the part three of this uh, Talking Jesus series, which is basically equipping and inspiring everyday, ordinary Christians to share 
their faith in their everyday worlds. And uh, when Jesus was in the world, he left with some sort of famous last words. He said at the very end of his life to his disciples, he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, so go and make disciples. We call this the Great Commission, and it's kind of like the mission statement for every church and every Jesus follower since. But it's one thing, isn't it, to have a mission statement. It's another thing to be on mission, right? Every, uh, well, not every, but lots of organizations, schools and charities and offices will have a mission statement on the wall. But every leader knows the challenge is to have their employees or their staff living out the mission. I heard of one steel company in Arizona. Profits had gone down. They needed a shake-up, so they brought in a new CEO. And he was taking a tour of the plant, and he came into one room, and uh, there were a lot of staff around, and he saw one guy sort of just leaning against the wall at the back, doing nothing, and he thought, this is an opportunity to teach them a lesson. So he walked up to this guy, and he said, how much money do you make a week? And the guy's a bit surprised, said, well, about $400? And he said, right, wait here. And he went into his office, and he came back with $1,600, gave it to the guy, and said, right, here's four weeks' pay, get out, and don't come back. People in the room were a bit stunned. He was feeling quite proud of himself. And he said, right, does anyone want to tell me what that slacker used to do around here? To which some little voice replied from across the room, that was the pizza delivery guy from Domino's. (laughs) 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 Joking aside, the challenge is not to be caught leaning on the wall, but on mission for Jesus Christ. And I realize that some of us, when we think about talking Jesus, may feel like, oh, I don't know if I can do this. You know, I feel like I'm just the delivery guy. As someone said to me the other week, I'm no Billy Graham. Well, fair point, but let's also recognize Billy Graham is no longer with us. Thank God for his incredible ministry. But when Billy Graham was with us, he himself recognized that the Great Commission will not ultimately be fulfilled by a few evangelists on a stage, but by every Christian talking Jesus. He said this, um, to quote Billy Graham, if every believer followed this pattern, the church could reach the entire world within the, with the gospel in one generation. Mass crusades will never finish the Great Commission, but a one-by-one ministry will. So talking Jesus is to mobilize the one-by-one, everyday, ordinary Christian to be on mission for Jesus Christ. And if we all get with this, amazing things can happen. So the question today is a general one, really. Well, what can then an ordinary, everyday, I'm not an evangelist Christian, what can we do to get on mission with Jesus? Three things that I want to highlight from a passage in the Bible in a book called Colossians, where the Apostle Paul, writing to a church called in the city of Colossae, uh, he says this. So listen up for the things that we can do from this passage that talk Jesus. He says this, devote yourselves to prayer being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I'm in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way that you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Three things I think we can all pick up on from this passage. Pray it, 
live it and speak it. So first up, pray it. Paul opens in verse 2, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. If you've become a Christian, I can almost guarantee that someone was praying for you. It's nearly always the power behind the process. Prayer is foundational to our mission, and it's something, however timid we may feel, it's something we can all be part of. We can all pray in this kind of way. And Paul notes a couple of things that happen when we make it a commitment to pray it, to pray into talking Jesus. The number one obvious thing is that it changes us. Prayer alters our vision. Prayer alters our vision. That short film we've just watched, I love the way that the dialogue unfolds because in so much of it, the the father is in a rush, he hasn't got time, and therefore for him everything is a distraction, and yet the daughter is seeing a different reality of opportunity. And I love the punchline at the end, do you see them now, Dad? Do you see them? You know, it is possible, isn't it, to rush through our days blind to the opportunities all around us to be blessing people in Jesus' name. But I find when I pray, it gives me an altered vision and I see things that I might otherwise miss. You know, if if I'm honest with you, I can be like that dad. (laughs) I get very fixed on my goals and my timings and all those things. And I can find myself considering others' distractions to the goals and objectives I want to accomplish. But I find when I pray... It helps me to remember what if some of those distractions are my goals as far as God is concerned? What if my work is actually found in some of those seemingly peripheral moments of life where I can make a difference? Prayer alters our vision to see opportunities. That's why I think Paul noticed the word watchful. He says, be devoted to prayer, watchful. The the word literally means to wake up from being asleep. This message in part is a wake-up call to me and all of us. Wake up from sleepwalking through life in prayer. Wake yourself up to the divine assignments and opportunities that God wants to give us on a daily basis. Amen? So prayer alters our vision. And I'm preaching it like I live it. But in fact, it's a work in progress for me. I actually live with someone who really lives it. My wife is so much better than me at this. She She prays, we both pray together in the morning. We've kind of made it our prayer on a daily basis. Lord, who can we bless today in Jesus' name? But my wife then lives that out. She'll often leave margin of time to just kind of create that space. Have you noticed, if you do create a bit of margin, you you can engage with people in a new and more meaningful way. Often, you know, she'll come back, as, as I would think of it, late from the school run. But actually, it's because she's got into a great conversation with someone, often ended up chatting, even praying with people, building in that intentionality in prayer and that margin of life to have eyes to see, do you see them now? Do you see them? That, that vision for opportunities. There's quite a few people on Alpha, even in church, as a result of that living intentionally and praying it. So I want to invite us firstly to pray it because it alters our vision. But also the Apostle Paul notes that when we pray it, it opens doors. Think of prayer as like a key that turns the lock and opens doors. So Paul prays uh, or, or urges them to pray that God may open a door for the message. Our prayers, you see, may feel weak, even feeble, but our prayers connect to the power and might of God. 
As one person put it, prayer is like the slender nerve that moves the muscles of omnipotence. In other words, God's all-powerful. He's got the muscle. But when we pray, we may feel weak, but it's moving the power of God to change those around us and our circumstances and to open doors for talking Jesus. So pray, who can I bless today? Lord, give me vision. And Lord, open a door for the message as I go into the day. Pray like that and then look to see the answers. They unfold as the day goes on. Paul, therefore, prays for a door to be opened. One of the things that strikes me about this is, if I was the Apostle Paul in his shoes, sandals, I know which door I would be thinking I was praying to be opened, the prison door, right? Did you notice he's in jail, the big steel thing that's ruining my life? That's what I'd be praying to be opened, right? But isn't it challenging that that isn't what he prays for? He prays not that God would open the prison door, pray that God would open a door for the message of Jesus. He is more concerned for talking Jesus than any other personal comforts or freedoms. This is someone who is living and breathing a desire that Jesus should be famous and made known in the world. And I don't know about you, I find that challenging because my prayer horizons can easily collapse inwards to my own personal needs and comforts. There's nothing wrong with praying, give us our daily bread. But we need our prayers to move on also to let your kingdom come. Amen? Bigger prayers than just our personal needs. May our prayer lives be about opening doors for the message of Jesus. As I say this, I think of my auntie Edna, who's no longer with us. She's gone to be with the Lord. But when she was in her late 80s, she was a ordinary, everyday Christian. She wasn't a stage person. She was just an everyday, on the job, on mission, and she prayed a lot. And uh, I remember in her late 80s, living on her own, two thugs broke into her home while she was there and robbed her. Now, for anyone, that's a pretty traumatic experience, whatever age or stage of life. But living on your own, you can imagine what that would do to you. And I can remember my mum telling me that she phoned my mum to tell her what had happened And one of the things she said was this. She said, it's really hard for me now, she said, because now I've got two more people that I need to add to my daily prayer list. (laughs) Isn't that a counterintuitive way of living life? These are people that need Jesus that have just broken into my home, and I'm going to pray for them every day. Pray for God to open a door to the message. You know, when I went to her funeral, there was a custody officer there who in part had come because of that connection And she just disclosed to me that the two guys were caught and she was aware that at least one of them had done an alpha course in prison and given his life to Jesus as a result. Isn't that great? Pray for God to open a door for our message. When we pray it, we get altered vision, opening our eyes, waking up from sleepwalking to see the opportunities and we get opportunities to speak about Jesus. Pray it. Secondly, the Apostle Paul would say, live it. Verse 5, Paul says, Be wise in the way that you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Here Paul is urging us to live. It's, It's about the way that we live. I think he knows that in the end, talking Jesus is less about talking the talk and more about walking the walk, right? Because there's nothing that puts people off Christianity more than a hypocritical Christian. Someone who says one thing and does another. And there's nothing that draws people to Christianity more than a credible Christian who shows just in the way they live 
that it's real. I was talking to someone on our Alpha course just recently saying, you know, why did you end up coming on Alpha? I said, well, I moved into a shared home, and one of the people in there was a Christian, and I just realized they had something that I wanted. But live it. You know, living it is powerful. And so Paul says, be wise in the way that you act towards outsiders. As if Paul's saying, be aware that people are watching. They're watching. More than we realize, we are being observed by people all around us. As I say this, I, I think of an amusing incident about a year ago. I was reading a, a book, a nature book actually, with our, a couple of our kids. And in it was a fact that just blew my mind. It was the fact that the world's largest snake was, eight, I think, 8.4 meters long. Isn't that extraordinary? I read this to my children. They looked blankly. And I thought, you just don't appreciate what I've just told you right there. Come with me. So I took them outside. And I got um, our garden hose pipe out, and I said, right, I'm going to show you just what this means. And I'm going to show you how you should respond if ever you encounter an 8.4-meter anaconda in the wild, right? So I undid this uh, garden hose down the garden. I mean, 8.4 meters is extraordinary. And just to build the drama a bit, I said to Toby, our youngest, it's not safe for you to be around this now. So I'm going to, and I got out our dog cage, you know those sort of dog cages? And I put Toby in the cage and sort of shut the door (laughs) for safety reasons, before I showed them how to respond to an 8.4 meter anaconda. And so I went, sort of ran, I went up the garden and I said, right, if ever you encounter anaconda in the wild, this is what you would do. And I just ran, <laughs> shrieking back down the garden, ah! <laughs> which I thought was funny. Um, anyway, as I finished my shrieking down the garden, there's Toby sitting in a cage. I heard a voice from over the fence. Is everything all right, Andrew? My neighbor had seen the whole thing unfold, including my son in a dog cage and me shrieking at an 8.4-meter hosepipe down the garden, right? It reminded me, people are watching. (laughs) We are being observed more than we realize in life. And we, therefore, Paul says, be wise, unlike that, in the way that you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity to live out the good news of Jesus. You know, Talking Jesus, the survey showed that 67% of people who are not Christians, not part of a church, 67% said that they personally knew a Christian. So in the UK context, 67% of people say, I know a Christian. In other words, they're aware. They know that that person and the way that they live is an expression of their faith. And they're watching to see, is it real? Does it work? And do I want any of it? Right? When we live it, it's powerful. As Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, Let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Our lives are to be shining examples of Jesus Christ. Elsewhere, the Apostle Paul says, it's as if he says, You are letters of recommendation, known and read by all. Notice that idea then. He's saying, You, the way you live... You are letters of recommendation. You are, before people are going to read the Bible, they're reading you and deciding whether they'll read the Bible or come to church as a result of what they read. Perhaps if we were to update that analogy, we would say, you, we are TripAdvisor reviews for Jesus Christ. How do we make decisions these days about what to buy or where to eat dinner? So often we know that the website will be marketing and spin, but we cut through all that to the reviews, right? Because we want to read, so what does it look like for real, ordinary people? And then we'll decide if it's worth buying into. 
Paul's saying effectively, in the way that we live, we are writing reviews for the Christian faith. So live it to write great reviews of who Jesus is and what he has done. Or as Paul puts it here, make the most of every opportunity. Literally, that phrase is, buy up the opportunity. Or you might think of it, in, it's almost like a shopping or commercial idea. It's like there are bargains out there to be had. And the idea is of someone who's going out looking for those bargains and snapping them up before they're gone. Paul's saying, live with that alertness and attentiveness that every day, whatever happens, however surprising the circumstances you find yourself in, how you react, how you respond, how you treat others, we are continually representing Jesus Christ and leaving reviews for others to read in the way we do it. Isn't that a challenge? I was sitting at a roundabout when it hit me. Uh, the car behind, that is. Um, came into the back of me, right? Smacked into the back of the car, into the bumper. And um, I must admit, my first response was, um, was kind of that, you know, almost frustration and, and a little bit confrontational. And just as I was opening the door of the car, having to get out and speak to the owner who'd smacked into the back of mine, I, um, I just felt some sort of nudge. I think it was the Holy Spirit looking back, just nudging me as if to say, remember now you represent Jesus. <laughs> just control yourself, Andrew. What you do now isn't just about you. You represent someone greater than you, Right. That was just enough to calm down the natural Andrew, which would not have been positive, and just to come out and realize I just needed to be gracious. So I went to the back of the car, and lo and behold, it was an older gentleman, recently lost his wife, wasn't in a good place, and the last thing he needed me to be was confrontational. He needed a bit of love and kindness from Jesus Christ, right? So I was able to exchange details with him. I actually phoned him a few times after and got to pray with him a couple of times over the phone. After all, who cares about the bumper when we get the opportunity to share Jesus, right? There are bigger things in life, more important things than material possessions. We've got to live it, and we need that nudge of the Holy Spirit to say whatever happens tomorrow, how we respond at work, at home, wherever we are, we are writing reviews and representing Jesus Christ. Let's make them good, good ones. Let's live it. So pray it and live it. And then finally, Paul would say, speak it. Speak it. Verse 6, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. We need to live it, but there comes a point where having lived it out, we also need to speak it. In the end, we need to talk Jesus, not just live out the message quietly. There is a famous saying by St. Francis of Assisi, a 13th century Italian friar, and he allegedly said, preach the gospel, you may have heard this phrase, preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. Now it sounds cute <laughs> but, and, and clever, but it really is flawed for a couple of reasons at least. Number one, he probably never said it. Right? So it's not actually true to him. He was actually a great preacher himself, sometimes up to five times a day. And the second reason it's flawed is because the gospel is news. It is an announcement of good news about what God has done through Jesus Christ. And it doesn't matter how great we are at living it. In the end, you cannot live it in such a way that people understand what Jesus has done. You've got to go from living it to speaking it, right? I mean, think about an equivalent. It would be like... This phrase, preach the gospel, if necessary, use words. Imagine you were speaking to 
the BBC News presenter, just before they were about to go live on air to give the news, and you, you cleverly said to them, deliver the news, and if necessary, use words. Now, it sounds smart, but actually it's stupid, isn't it? What, how else are they going to make announcements of things that have happened that you can't see without words, right? So how else are we to communicate the good news of Jesus Christ without words? There comes a point, and in this series, Talking Jesus, we've arrived at it, where we have to discuss how do we talk Jesus? How do we not only pray it and live it, but also speak it. Now, I appreciate the skeptic may be thinking, well, isn't this a bit sort of bigoted and old-fashioned to try and convert people? We just need to have a private faith and let everyone else believe whatever they want to believe. And again, it sounds cute, but actually it misses the point. The point being how good the message of Jesus is and life-transforming. Aren't you glad someone told you? And how much is at stake in people responding to that message? Imagine, for example, you had an incurable disease, and then somehow you came across a cure for it. You applied it to yourself, and it saved you. What would be the next thing you would do if you were a kind, loving person? You would tell other people, right? It would be cruel to keep it to yourself. In Romans 10, Paul echoes that kind of idea and says, How can they hear unless someone speaks to them. We have to move from not only living it to notice the verb speak, speak it. Three times in this passage then in Colossians, Paul uses that verb to speak as if to say, when we've lived it out, people will be intrigued by our lives and we will get opportunities then to speak about Jesus. Now, I know this is the bit that we find challenging. I do, we all probably do. Sometimes we feel a bit tongue-tied, a lot of fear can be involved and some embarrassment, what other people will think. So I appreciate it's a challenge. In fact, I don't know if you noticed, but even the seasoned missionary, the Apostle Paul, asked his friends to pray for him that he'd be able to talk about Jesus. Did you notice that? Even he found it a challenge. Pray for me, would you? I don't find this easy, I think the Apostle Paul is saying, but I want to speak it clearly as I should. So we pray for one another, we encourage one another, but this Talking Jesus series today turns a corner and begins to focus on, so what have we got to say in conversations about Jesus? Next week, we'll consider how we can use our own story, our experience. The following week, how we can think about God's story, the gospel, and joining the dots between that and other people's lives. But for the sake of a few moments today, let me just focus on two key words in verse 6 of this passage we've read. Notice they're highlighted. Paul says, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. First key word that I think is important as we think about speaking it is simply the word conversation. Notice then for the Apostle Paul, talking Jesus does not look like this, someone on the street preaching away to a crowd. He doesn't have that in mind. That's not a conversation, right? That's a monologue. I'm not saying that that's not right, but that's not what he's primarily got in mind. Not this, but more this. Look at this picture. This is a couple of people having a coffee and having a conversation. Paul says, let your conversation. It's not a monologue where I sit someone down and say, I'm right, you're wrong, and let me explain why. (laughs) That's not talking Jesus. No, no, it's a conversation. It's not a monologue. It's a dialogue with friends. That's where we need to build in margin. Having lunch, 
breaks with people or coffee or going for a walk, whatever it may be, just to spend time with people and to listen to where they're at and respond to the questions that they may have. Did you notice Paul says that we may know how to answer everyone? Notice the implication is they've asked us a question, right? In other words, they've spoken, they've shared from where they're at and we're responding to that. That's the idea of a conversation, isn't it? It's a two-way thing. It's not just a download of a speech that we feel better for getting off our chest. It's true friendship on a journey in conversation. That's talking Jesus. I think of it almost like our talking Jesus should be like a good sat-nav. Aren't sat-navs wonderful devices? Because they don't criticize you for being wherever you are. They just, as you program it in, they just say, you know, finding route. And then they just show you the best way to get from wherever you are to where you need to get to, right? Let's not criticize people for being wherever they are. Let's not be like the person who was asked for directions who says, well, if you want to go there, I wouldn't start from here, right? Well, I have to start from here. So let's think like a good sat-nav Starting where people are at, listening to their questions and ideas, how can I create the best route forwards for them? That's the idea of talking Jesus as a conversation. uh, This last weekend, I was away um, at an event, and I had about half an hour before the event started. So I, um, well, I probably, actually, if I'm honest, I would probably have checked emails and been busy, but I felt a little nudge to go into a coffee shop and have a coffee. And when the Lord nudges you to have a flat white, I always say, do it. In obedience, right? So I did. Uh, and as it turned out, it was just me and the coffee shop owner in this little coffee shop. And we got into conversation. And uh, we, we had a nice little chat, a few other things were said. And then I asked a, a, an open question, which is, you know, what would you say was your biggest challenge right now? And he um, had recently started this coffee shop. He was the only person working in it seven days a week. He said, I'm stressed and I'm not sleeping very well. Now, off the back of that little kind of conversation, there was a lot more to it, as you can imagine. Off the back of that, I just said at the end, towards the end of it, well, I'm a Christian. Would you mind if I prayed for you? And he was happy with that. So I just prayed God's blessing on the business and that he'd have a good night's sleep. Right? That was just a conversation. I started with what he was saying and his life experience and then just said, I'm a Christian. Can I pray for that? It's natural and easy. It's a conversation. And then second word that Paul talks about is salt. Let this be a salty conversation. Don't assault people. <laughs> Let this be a salty conversation, right? He says here, let your conversation be seasoned with salt. Now, I think when we think about salt, part of what Paul's getting at is when you season some food with salt, what you're doing is you're making it tasty, not bland, right? When we talk Jesus, may it never be bland and boring, Of all the things to talk about, let our faces sparkle and our conversation be salty when we talk about the Lord Jesus Christ, right? When you talk about sin, your normal face will do. But when you you talk about Jesus, let your face shine, right? This is good news and we should talk about it in that way. I sometimes, uh, I, I find it helpful to almost have a few Verses, I often find the I am sayings of Jesus from John's gospel, those are often what I turn to in conversation because they just, they've got that kind of salty, gripping ideas about what Jesus is like. So when someone's perhaps struggling with depression or anxiety, I often draw on that beautiful phrase where Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Into our darkness, he can shine light. When someone's feeling a bit lost or disorientated in life, I draw on, I am the good shepherd. When someone's suffered bereavement or, or, or loss, I'm the resurrection and the life. And when I was in this coffee shop, actually, the guy, after I'd prayed, we carried on the conversation and he opened up a bit more. 
And he actually said that he was on medication for depression because his friend had recently committed suicide. He'd faced a hugely difficult experience. And he said, and I just feel, I've just felt empty. And so I just drew on John 6, just flicked on my phone to John 6. And I just said, you know, one of the verses I found really helpful, you know, and I said to him, you know, today I came in pretty hungry and thirsty to your coffee shop. You gave me some delicious uh, flat white chocolate brownie and it's done me good, right? And I think, and I read from um, John 6 and I said, and Jesus says to those of us who are empty, he says, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will not be hungry. Whoever believes in me will not go away thirsty. And I said, I've just found that's my experience. When I've come to Jesus, spiritually speaking, he's brought fullness where there was emptiness. It was as simple as that. Leave it with him, see where it goes. The point is, add a bit of salt to the conversation and you can see the person finding this could be for me. You create intrigue and an appetite. However, add a bit of salt to the conversation, right? When our kids take these salt cellars, we often are quick to sort of shout across the table, you know, just a little bit, it comes out fast, you know, because you don't want a lot of salt on your food, right? In our enthusiasm to share Jesus, let's not let the top come off and the whole thing pour out over people, right? That can ruin a good meal. Just a little bit, just a seasoned conversation with salt. So for example, you may go into work tomorrow and someone may say to you, what do you do on the weekend, right? And it'd be perfectly acceptable. Just add a bit of salt to that conversation and say, well, amongst other things, I went to church. And they may pick up on that and ask you more and you can respond or they may not, in which case just leave it, right? But whatever you do, don't let the top come off in your enthusiasm from this message and just pour the whole lot over them, right? What do you do on the weekend? I went to church, heard a message about sin and judgment, atonement and resurrection and Jesus and repentance and you can have this right here and now by the water cooler, (laughs) They just asked you what you did on the weekend, right? (laughs) Don't let the whole lot come out. Just a little bit of salt seasoned on the conversation and see where it goes. This is talking Jesus. It's about praying it and living it and speaking it as appropriate. And as we do that, we get to witness to the best news on planet Earth, our Lord Jesus Christ. And if we all do this... I believe that actually there is a better opportunity than we've realized in our cultural moment right now for talking Jesus. What has the research shown? A surprising number of people, 43% of people that you will mix with tomorrow, according to the statistics, believe in the resurrection of Jesus. Isn't that extraordinary? When they think about the 67% of people who have a, a personal friend who's a Christian, when they think about that person, they think of words like caring and kind and honest. Isn't that amazing? We have more of an opportunity than we realize. We can think our school or office or community is barren, but actually there are dormant seeds of opportunity. And when we pray it and live it and speak it, we water the seeds and things can change. There's a place in America called Death Valley, which, as it suggests, is pretty barren because it's the hottest place on earth. This place, nothing grows, you would think, because it's so hot and so barren. And yet recently, there was a shocking, surprising rainfall. And three months after the rainfall, suddenly the whole place bloomed. Look at this transformation from that to this. Same place. Isn't that extraordinary? And it became apparent that there were always dormant seeds in Death Valley. It just took some rainfall and they bloomed into life. Listen, wherever we go tomorrow, there are dormant seeds of opportunity. If we pray it and live it and speak it, even the most barren places can see some beautiful transformation 
in Jesus' name. Amen.